we live in a post-truth world. In fact, the Oxford Dictionary uh, Word of the Year for 2016, it was the word uh, post-truth. Now, we know, I'm sure, what is meant by that. Do we? Post-truth is where objective reality, it's where fact is relegated in favour of anything <laughs> that will bring forth a positive response from an audience. And we've seen an awful lot of that going on in the political sphere in 2016. Well, of course, alongside the rise in post-truth, we've seen what's probably an inevitable reaction against post-truth, haven't we? Like all over a social media, all over the internet, we're hearing voices that are calling for an end to post-truth, you know, calling for authenticity, calling for fact. We'll get this tonight and here just now for our time together. We are going to consider truth. We're going to consider where real truth, real life-altering, life-changing truth can be found. Because tonight in our time together, we are going to consider the Bible. And uh, let me tell you, or let me suggest how this should pan out this evening. Okay? First of all, we're going to consider what it is that we believe about the Bible. So, we call the book that you've got in your hand, we call this God's Word. What does that actually mean? What do we mean by that when we say that it's God's Word? So, what do we believe about the Bible? That's the first question. Then from there, we're going to to try and consider a second crucial question. And that is, how... Do we know that the Bible is real? How do we know that the Bible is true? Because we call it God's Word. How do we know that it's God's Word? How do we know that the Bible is not just something that is made up? Then the third thing we're going to do, or the third question that we're going to ask, is, well, what, in light of those first two things, what should we do with the Bible? So if you all, are you all with me? Do you see the three questions? What do we believe about the Bible? Uh, how do we know the Bible is real? And then what do we do with the Bible? Do you see it? Everyone with me so far? You've got the three questions that we're going to try and answer and try and deal with. Okay, good. I would ask you to turn back to Second Timothy, to the second reading, Second Timothy 3, to have that open in front of you. And let's 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 try and 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 look and consider that first question. So, do you remember what the first question was? Uh, what is it that we, uh, as Christians, what is it that we believe about the Bible? Okay, let's start like this. Uh, what sort of church are we? What sort of church are we? If you're asked uh, tomorrow, uh, what sort of church do you go to? Uh, what would you say? Hopefully you would say that we are a reformed church. Would you say that? Reformed church? So, meaning what? Meaning that we are a church that traces our theological heritage through the 16th century Reformation, through the Reformation right back to the Apostles and to the Bible. Okay? Now, one of the foundation stones to the Reformation 
was, of course, what it was that they believed about the Bible. Like what came out of the Reformation was what we might call quite a clear doctrine of Scripture. Okay, doctrine of Scripture. Now, this is what I'm going to suggest to you. It's not comprehensive at all, but I think you and I can come to a fairly good understanding of a reformed doctrine of Scripture if we just get our heads round four words. And that's what I want to look at in this first point here. Okay, so what's our question? What are we trying to answer? What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about the Bible? Okay, term one. We believe in the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, years ago, and as we're talking about a long time ago, a good friend of my wife, this friend got herself in a, you know, quite a, a lot of bother. She was a professing Christian. Uh, but she let things re- really go, you know. Um, she was not reading her Bible, not praying, let things slide. And she'd entered into a relationship with a, a bloke who was not a Christian. And uh, this guy was a pretty nasty piece of work, to be brutally honest with you. And it was uh, verging on abusive in many ways. And do you know what? As so often the case, she didn't see it. You know, there's all this almost abuse going on and, and she was just blinded to it, you know, blinded by the love that she had for this guy. So what happens? What does Catherine do? Well, Catherine prayed about this, really prayed about it and felt compelled not to phone her, not to speak. She felt compelled to write to her, you know, and to write a letter to her friend, just try to set out, you know, the predicament that this girl was in, just to try, you know, just to try and show her the situation that, that, that she was facing, this girl. You see that? That's what we're talking about with the Bible. See, God has made us in his image, partly, why? Partly, so that he can reveal himself to us. And what's happened with mankind? Think about the story. Think about the illustration. We're just like the girl in the, in the story. We've got ourselves in a terrible predicament through the fall. Haven't we? we kind of stumble around in the dark. We can't even recognize the plight that we are in. So what has God done? Think about what Catherine's done. What has God done? In his grace and his goodness, he writes to mankind. He writes this to mankind. Why? To show us a way to be saved. To show us the plight and the circumstance that we are in. Now, there's actually a question you might come back with there. If you engage with it. Because you might say, well, okay, but why didn't God just tell Adam? Why didn't God just tell mankind? Why, why, why didn't he just verbally communicate to... Why did why it got to be written down in a book? Well, you've played Chinese whispers in the past when you were kids, haven't you? You know the game, I don't know what it's called in America, but it's the game, you know, where you the kids will sit in a circle and they'll whisper a phrase, and then the phrase will work its way right round the circle, right? Well, isn't that... What would have happened? What would sinful man have done if God had just merely told us? What would sinful man have done? We'd have corrupted the message. 
would have destroyed this message, wouldn't we? We would have completely obliterated it, leaving us all condemned. And so what has God done? Out of necessity. What has God done? He has written to us. He's given us this glorious written revelation of ourselves. You see it? Two, what do we believe? We believe, so we've got the necessity, first word, second word, we believe in the authority of Scripture. Okay, uh, probably all of you in here have heard the uh, Reformation mantra, sola scriptura. Has everyone heard that? Even if we don't know what it means, you've heard sola scriptura before. Meaning, Scripture alone is the supreme authority, the only authority when it comes to the revelation of God. Sola Scriptura. See that? That's what we're talking about here. Because do this with me. Look at your Bibles. And look down at verse 16. Now what does Paul say to you in verse 16? I'll give you a moment to find it. What does he say? He said, all Scripture is... God breathed. What does he mean? Now, when Adrian comes up uh, now and again to read the Bible to you in the front of the service, what does Adrian say before he reads the Bible? He says, this is the inspired word of God. Isn't that what he says? And he's absolutely right. And some of us say the same thing as well. That scripture is inspired, the biblical authors were inspired. Now what I want you to see here at this point is that scripture is even more majestic. It's even grander than that. Because yes, there is inspiration when it comes to scripture. But you know what else there is? There is also expiration. Do you see it? You see what that means? It means that what you have got in front of you just now is something that has actually been breathed out, expired by by God Almighty to us, breathed out by God. And what does Paul say? He says, oh, scriptures like that. So even some of the bits of the Bible that we maybe don't find all that exhilarating or exciting. Even those bits, they possess this incredible characteristic of being divinely exhaled. And do you see what that means? It means unlike the Catholic Church, who place the traditions of the Church and the teachings of the Pope up there on a par with the Bible, unlike that, what do we believe? We believe sola scriptura. is what we believe. We believe firmly that Scripture alone is the authority when it comes to the revelation of God. Necessity, authority, third term. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay, how is this uh, for a bold statement? I believe that the Bible teaches you everything that you need to know for life. It's a fairly bold statement. Let me guess the objection to that, the comeback to that. 
you might say, no, it doesn't. It doesn't teach me how to play chess. The Bible doesn't teach me how to fix an oil leak in a 1986 Ford Orion. Bible, how can you say that the Bible teaches you absolutely everything that you need to know for? How can you say that? Well, uh, at the moment at home, I think I've told you about this before, I am trying to teach my children uh, the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. Okay? And so far, uh, for the older two, it's going really well, things are fine, they're ticking on. Juliet, though, I mean, I suppose we should let her off a little bit, be three and all, but Juliet's not great with a shorter catechism yet. Uh, you would think, though, that she could get little bits and pieces here and there, but it's not like that. She can get nothing except for one of the question and answers. And see that one? She absolutely nails it. She can't get anything else, but she can get one. Now listen, test her on it. Listen to the question though. If you were to ask Juliet, what is question three of the Shorter Catechism? She would respond, what do the scriptures principally teach? And then she would answer, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man so you see it okay the Bible does not teach us how to play chess and the Bible does not teach us how to fix an oil leak but what does it teach us it teaches you everything you need to know about salvation everything that man needs to, to know to believe about God everything that we need to know to live out that salvation it teaches us all of it sometimes it's not easy is it because scripture sometimes deals in principles when it doesn't deal in detail so it tells us that we are supposed to gather like this to worship God but it doesn't tell us how often on a Sunday we're supposed to do it it doesn't tell us what time the service is supposed to start but isn't it marvellous what God has done he's given us in his word a sufficient knowledge of him and a sufficient knowledge of salvation. What are the words so far? Necessity of Scripture, authority of Scripture. What's the third one? Sufficiency of Scripture. The last of these, we believe in the, wait for it, perspicuity of Scripture. Now that is a, that's one of those words that theologians use and nobody else knows what it means. Isn't it? Perspicuity. What does perspicuity mean? Well, when I was a, a student in Edinburgh, I stayed with a fellow student and a guy who was studying English literature at university. And as part of his course, I remember vividly that he was tasked with reading a book by James Joyce. And the book was called Ulysses. I don't know if you've read James Joyce's Ulysses or not. If you've not read it, do not bother yourself to read it. It is impenetrable nonsense. Okay. And my flatmate agreed with that conclusion about Ulysses. And so confused was he by this book that what he did was he sought out people, experts, you know, other people years on in university to tell him what the book was about. Uh, so that he didn't have to read it himself. Now listen. 
perspicuity is the truth that the Bible is not like Ulysses. Perspicuity is the truth that the Bible is not like James Joyce. It's the truth that this book here is not just for ministers, and it's not for theologians, it's not for scholars, that this is a book that can be understood by anyone, anywhere. That's the perspicuity of Scripture. And again, don't get me wrong, not saying that all of this book is easy. Second Peter chapter 3 Peter speaks to the church and he says, do you know what? Some of the Bible's really hard. But what is the truth here? The truth is that the essential elements for salvation written in Scripture, they can be understood by all. Isn't that marvelous? Do you see what it is that we believe? (laughs) Do you see what it is that we believe about the Bible? We believe that Almighty God has given us His necessary, His authoritative, His sufficient, His comprehensible Word. Isn't that marvellous? And all why to reveal Himself to man. Okay. Second question. We believe... We believe about Scripture. How do we know that the Bible is true? And can I I'll just start here with this? Do you see why this is a, such an important question for us to start the year with? Do you see why it's so important? If I was to ask you what you believe, you would speak the truth of the gospel. You would tell me that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would ask you why that is and who is Jesus. And everything that you believe, every bit of it, comes from there, comes from this book. So you and I genuinely have to be able to answer the question, okay, you believe that, but how do you know the Bible's not made up? How do you know that this is this is real and it's not just fabricated? Do you see how important the question is? Well, see, if you're asked that question, and I've been asked, I'm asked that question a lot. If you are asked that question, I think there are two bodies of evidence that you can cite in responding to that question. First is the internal, internal evidence. Do you see what I mean? The evidence that the Bible is true within this book itself, the internal evidence. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, consider, first of all, the composition of Scripture. So the way that it is written. So imagine the case tonight that up the front here, I had a copy of the Quran. Imagine I also had a copy of all the other sacred texts up here in a line. And imagine that I was to compare the Bible to these sacred texts. What would we find? Well, invariably with all the other ones, it kind of comes down usually to just one bloke, doesn't it? Who's poop pen to paper. It's always kind of the same, isn't it? It's always one guy somewhere who's close to have had a revelation from God and he's, he said it down, he's written down, you get your sacred text. Right? Now you compare that with what you've got in your hand. Like here you have dozens, dozens of human authors. Don't you? 
And they come from different places, they come from different lands, they speak different tongues, they speak in different languages. And what happens? It all comes together in this work, and in a work that is absolutely free from contradiction. Does that, even the way that it comes together, even its composition, does that not speak to the fact that this is God's divine word? So then think about the actual content of the Bible. Okay? And here let me just speak to you about fulfilled prophecy for a moment. Just think about that. Like if anybody else had any other book, any other author had writes a book, writes a book, and accurately predicts an event in the future, what's going to happen? The world's going to be up in arms. We're going to be so excited about this. It's going to be an international bestseller. This guy can predict the future. And then you think about the Bible. And what do you have in front of you in this book? You have hundreds and hundreds of predictions and prophecies all of which we, we, we know come true, that we can verify these historically, can we not? For example, think about the family line of Jesus, or the place of his birth, or Jesus riding in Jerusalem on a donkey, think about his betrayal for pieces of silver, think about his silence under trial, think about his mocking eh, 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 at the cross, think about the abandonment of the twelve. I mean, I could go on and on. What are all of those things? All of them spoken of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the event. And what's true of every single one of them? They're all dying on. They all happened. Isn't that incredible? And then you think about the very craftsmanship of Scripture. Um, when I was lying at home in bed last week, dizzy beyond belief I was reading one of my favourite theologians and uh, he says this and I warn you it's kind of controversial but I'm sure you get the point that he's going to make let me read it to you he says this he says if he could not worship the Christ portrayed to us in the Bible if he, if he couldn't worship the Christ of the Bible, that he would worship those who invented him. Do you see the point he's making? Such is the majesty of the Christ that is revealed to us in God's word. Surely this is of the divine. Like such is the splendor of the storyline of salvation. Such is the character of gods that's spoken of in the world. Surely this book, surely it is true. Surely it is of God. How does our confession put it? Let me read this to you. It says, The incomparable excellences and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby Scripture doth, listen to it, arguments whereby Scripture doth uh, abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of Almighty God. Do you see it? There is internal evidence that this book is true and divine. But then we see the other side of it too, don't we? There's internal, there's 
also external evidence. Many of you have maybe heard of the name John Piper. Have you heard the name John Piper? John Piper is a Baptist minister in the United States. And he does quite a lot of radio work at the moment. And as part of the radio show, he was asked the question that we're looking at right now. So the guy asked him, So, Pastor John, I know my American accent is just perfect, but I will carry on with it as well. So, Pastor John, how do you know that the Bible is real? Piper, in a split second says this, I know that the Bible is real because my mama told me so. I sort of laughed at that when he said it. But there's more to it than we foresee. Because look at what Paul says in verse 14. Look what he says to Timothy. He says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Why? Why? Because, what does he say? Because you know those from whom you learned it. And you, see, you see, the point that he's making here, uh, okay, it's secondary to the internal evidence, but how do we know that the Bible is true? Well, partly we know because of the reliability of those who have gone before us. We know that Paul, the apostles, and the trustworthy man, we know that the Puritans were reliable men. We know that the apostles, we know that the reformers were reliable. Like, why, how do we, how do I know, how do you know that the Bible is real? Well, for many of you, you would be able to stand alongside John Piper. And you'd be able to say, I know, because my mama, my mum, my dad told me that it was true. And then the last thing here is surely the testimony of the Spirit of God in your heart. And we read often in Scripture that the Spirit of God bears witness. The Spirit of God gives us eyes to see. And we shouldn't pass over that. Do you see what it means? If somebody asks you, but how do you know that the Bible is real? Yes, you cite all of the internal evidence, you speak of the craftsmanship of Scripture and so forth. But surely you can also say as a Christian, I know because in His grace God has shown me. I know by His grace that God has given me eyes to see that the Holy Spirit has made me aware that this book that seems ordinary like other books, that it's not. That the Spirit of God tells me that what we have here is the inerrant and the inspired Word of Almighty God. So what do we believe about the Bible? The doctrine, Reformed doctrine, Scripture. How do we know that the Bible is real? There is internal evidence and there is external evidence. And really, just in a word, I want to close with this. And it's the application of all of this. And really, it's, well, what do we do now? What do we do with the Bible? And all I want to do is just give you three words, three words beginning with W, and then we walk, and we're finished. Um, everywhere you look, even though we're in the middle of the month, 
Everywhere you look, especially online, there's nothing but New Year's resolutions and Facebook and so forth. It's getting old. And if you've got a good Christian network online, uh, then there's an awful lot of stuff about commitment to reading the Bible in 2017 and, and plans to read the whole, of the, the whole of the Word in a year and so forth. I hear, I'm just going to reiterate and reaffirm that, because our first W is our Christian walk. And you see the logic of this. <laughs> if we believe that that there is from God, if we believe that God has given us a book, what's the least thing that we can do here? Least of all, we can read it. Surely if God has revealed himself to you and said, this is my will, this is my word, at least we can study it. And I'll, I'll say this, and I thought long and hard about saying it, but I'll say it, I think that is a problem in this hall. Unbelievers of a previous generation would have been more familiar with their Bibles than many of us in here tonight. Pagans in a previous generation in this country would have known Scripture better than some of us tonight. So I'll give you this to take away. This is Martin Luther. He says this. He says, The Scriptures... They are our vineyard in which we all should work. Christian walk, our walk. Second W is our witness. And again, it's simple, isn't it? Look, think about the logic. We're saying that this is inerrant. This is from God. So surely that has to affect what we do with the Bible. Should we not pray for and support overseas Bible translation work? Should we not? Should we not seek also to bring God's word to the people of this country as well? To tell people out there, people who simply are ignorant, people who simply do not know, tell them that this is a special book. Tell them that within the Bible there are the keys to... And then the last one, the most paramount, the most important of all, our worship. Our walk, our witness, our worship. If this is God's word, then surely it must sit central to our worship. Our worship in this church, our worship in this service. So hear this warning. Many of you, most of you, are going to leave LCPC. Don't be seduced by a slick worship service. Don't be seduced by a funky praise song. Find yourself a church, submit to a church, become a member of a church that holds high the word of God and preaches the Bible. It is the most important thing of all. And I end with this. Perhaps you're not a Christian. 
in this room tonight. Is there a message here for you if you're not a Christian? Well, of course there is. Tonight you're hearing that God has written a book for you, personally for you. And what does that word say? What does that book say to you? Well, I'll read just a few words from it. God says this to you as he reveals himself. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This primarily is a book about Christ. It is a book about Jesus. It is a book that tells you that he is the only way to be saved. Would you not even tonight consider that? Consider God's grace, what he has done here. Would you not consider confessing your sin to Jesus? And if you do that, what happens? You will join us, God willing, in becoming a people of the book. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you uh, this evening.